Welcome, dear listener, to Fear from the Heartland. I'm your host, Paul J. McSorley. Set aside some moments now and take an adventurous ride on a journey into the psyche of some talented writers. They will dig into your being and titillate you. Oh, I love that word, titillate. While the stories may not all take place in the heartland, I am delivering them to you from the heartland. My intention is to strike fear and confusion into the mind, soul, and yes, the heart. This is Fear from the Heartland. Hello, Heartlanders, and welcome to Season 4, Episode 13 of Fear from the Heartland. I'm your host, Paul J. McSorley. Hey, Heartlanders, you guys patrons yet? Visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to join the club. You'll get ad-free versions of this and all our other podcasts, including hundreds of standalone releases from our audio archives dating back to 2012. It's a great way to show your support, and you get a whole lot for it. Triskaidekaphobia, the fear of the number 13. As I mentioned, this is the 13th episode of season four. The most popular theory about the origin of fear of the number 13 is biblical. There were 13 diners at the Last Supper. The 13th to arrive was Judas, who betrayed Jesus. In Norse mythology too, a table of 13 proved unlucky, to say the least. According to one of the myths, the primary 12 gods were dining together peacefully until the god of mischief and frequent superhero movie villain Loki showed up. And that leads me to ask this, why did Loki throw a temper tantrum when he couldn't find his brother during a game of hide and seek? Because he was a Thor loser? <laughs> Xavier Poe Kane brings us a well-crafted what-if tale tonight. Let's get after it. What would it feel like to be the last two humans on Earth, at least in your pocket of the world? Suzanne and Jericho are experiencing it until they don't. Who knows, there may still be two left after all. And now for your indulgence, Suzanne by Xavier Poe Kane. Day 187. Suzanne darted from the predators, stalking her like a terrified rabbit. Her heart pounded, and her calf and thigh muscles burned as she approached the small town, heading for the gap between two ramshackle buildings. She could see a parked car, both doors ajar. She couldn't help but laugh, a childhood memory bubbling up, asking her mother, Why does the car think the door is ajar? when their 87 Chrysler's electronic voice alert would inform them their doors weren't fully closed. The absurdity of random useless memories from the before times, in now all too common moments of insane peril, helped keep her grounded insane. The memory even brought a smile to her face 
her thumb instinctively finding her mother's ruby ring even as she ran. It had been passed down to her when she left for her freshman year at university. She snapped out of her reverie before thoughts of her mother's unknown fate could surface and sap her of the motivation to keep running, to keep living. Her lungs began to burn and she focused on getting to the opening of the alley. The predators were far behind her, yet she dared not look back and lose vital speed. She instead relied on the decreasing volume of guttural moans to tell her how far back they had fallen. She could pause to catch her breath for a moment once she entered the gap. Making it between the two buildings, she flattened herself against the rough brick exterior, noticing a door a few steps farther down. Suzanne gave herself a moment to close her eyes and take a breath as her ears strained to listen to the group slouching toward her. Slowly, keeping her back pressed against the wall, she sidestepped toward the door. Once she was leaning against it, she tried the knob. It was locked. She sighed. From what little of it she saw, it was a good shelter. Cinder block on the back and sides, brick on the front, windows boarded up. She shook her head. Probably full of stiffs, she whispered as she heard the knob being manipulated on the inside. Good thing the door's locked. She had yet to encounter one of them that could work a doorknob. She scanned the abandoned street. Several buildings had burned down, probably in the insanity that followed the first reports from the morgues. There was one other structure that looked promising that she could make a break for. Thankful for the speed and endurance that came from playing soccer on her college team, she took one more deep breath, about to push away from the wall to sprint back across the street. But the door opened suddenly and she fell back against a solid body. She was about to scream when a gloved hand covered her mouth, an arm wrapped around her waist and pulled her into the building. The door was kicked shut by a foot and leg sporting a cowboy boot and jeans. Don't scream and I'll let you go. The man's whisper was calm and the hand across her mouth began to loosen. I need to secure the door. He released her and stepped toward the fatal passageway to quietly shut and lock the door. He turned to her and raised a finger to his lips as he crept deeper into the building. Suzanne shook her head, clearing the jangle of what had just happened. She took in the interior of the building once her eyes adjusted to the dark shadows. It looked like some sort of government facility. The man's dark shape disappeared through a door, and the sound of them banging against the boarded-up windows convinced her to follow him. She found him beside a desk, his feet up as he poured a glass of some sort of whiskey. The nameplate next to his feet read, Toby Cammer, Chief of Police. She noticed him looking her up and down, no menace in his eyes. She turned away out of disinterest. Don't worry about the door, they're not smart enough to pick a lock. He took a sip. Name's Jericho. Feel free to pour yourself a finger or two. Or if you don't want to drink, there's water in the mini-fridge. You have cold water? Suzanne asked incredulously. She was at the fridge in a split second, pulling out a refreshingly cold bottle. Yep. We got a grant to go solar before the troubles began. Panels are on the roof and batteries are on the inside. Didn't want the police station with the town's only jail to have the power cut. We were a mostly peaceful town, but we had our share of bad apples. We learned that the hard way in the 90s when the city hall was burned down. She took a seat across the table from him. Is Jericho your middle name? Nope, the desk ain't mine. Toby was my boss before all... 
He waved a hand nebulously toward the exterior door. This happened. I was a sergeant in the police department, so I don't think he'd mind me setting up shop in his office. He fell silent for a moment, the 1,000-yard stare so common for survivors clouding over his eyes. Well, maybe the feet up on his desk. Jericho forced a smile. He'd been an army ranger or something and a real hard-ass for decorum. Suzanne leaned back in her chair and sipped the water, letting the cold refresher. It was nice to have a moment where life seemed like it was in the before times. Still, she couldn't let her guard down too much. You haven't asked my name yet. Why? A sentiment expressed by one of her history professors had started to echo in her mind as she faced Jericho. Names give manipulators power. Remaining nameless keeps others dehumanized. Well, I figured you'd tell me in your own time if you stayed, or if you left after the horde passed, it wouldn't matter. So, I can walk out of here whenever I want? Jericho nodded. Yes, ma'am. As if in answer, there was an aggressive thump against the window. I would recommend you wait an hour or two, though. She laughed and he grinned. She looked at the pictures on the wall. So, this is bourbon. This made Jericho's eyebrows shoot up. You know about us? We were trying to get here. Zack grew up here and said that if we got to Bourbon, we'd be safe. Jericho's face took on a hopeful appearance. Zack Brewer? Did you go to SLU with him? He leaned forward. Where is he? The last question made her wince. He settled back into his chair, his shoulders slumping. He's dead, isn't he? Suzanne nodded and wiped a tear from her eye. Were you dating? She nodded again, the dam bursting with no warning. She buried her face in her hands and let herself really cry, perhaps for the first time since he died. Jericho stood to pull his chair close to hers and wrap an arm around her as he wiped a few tears of his own. Jericho showed her a cell he had converted into a bedroom, a queen-sized mattress with mismatched sheets on the floor. These were just holding cells, so I had to scrounge for a mattress. There's a couch in Chief's office, but I can haul the mattress in if you want. The door locks from the inside. I totally understand if you don't want to sleep in a jail cell, especially a few feet away from a man you just met. Jericho fidgeted nervously. I clearly didn't expect guests. Oh, we've also got a couple of cots in the back. Suzanne studied the area. Four small holding cells, each with their door chained and padlocked open, had been turned into living spaces. You'd let me have that? While you sleep on a cot? Jericho nodded. Thank you for the kindness, but I can sleep in the office without a mattress for the time being. The couch will be just fine. She eyed the thick metal door to the holding cell area and the heavy-duty locks on it. He nodded. If you stay, you can have one of the cells to set up as your own. I've been thinking of getting some lumber and sheetrock and making legit walls. Having a roommate will get me off my lazy ass to actually do it. But like I said, you can stay or go. I'm not going to force you either way. But it is nice to meet someone else who knew Zach. I guess you grew up with him? I did. Jericho sat on the bed. He was a nerd and I was a jock. But in a small town like Bourbon, cliques just kind of blend together. 
He went to junior college before doing four years in the Air Force to pay for SLU, if I remember correctly. I went into law enforcement. Last time I saw him was Christmas. He didn't mention you, though. Suzanne leaned against a cell door. Well, we weren't dating. I'd lost my boyfriend in the beginning. He was the first in our group to turn. She wiped away another tear. We were really good friends. Inseparable, really. I'm from New Jersey, but when the virus hit, I was trapped in St. Louis. I could feel something starting to build between us, but I think he was giving me space to grieve my boyfriend. Then one night it happened. It? Jericho tried to suppress a grin. Pervert? She said with a smile and a blush. But yes, we just looked at each other and went for it. No words, just a few hours of literally screwing like we were literally the last people on Earth. Hours? Jericho chuckled. Zach, you old stud. Yes, he was, Suzanne grinned. After that, he was mine and I was his. There was no way it could be a simple life even then. It was primal. We survived by scrounging for food when it was safe to do so, but after a few months, we decided it was time to leave the city. It took us a week to get to the outskirts when it used to take us 30 minutes. Roads that bad? Suzanne nodded. Cars were parked bumper to bumper on I-44. We also found it safer to travel by night. Zack had this theory that their sense of smell decreased late at night. I also think they have just as hard a time seeing in the dark as we do. Maybe even a little worse. Ever look into their eyes? Jericho shook his head. I haven't gotten that close to them. I have, and every one of them seems to have a haze in front of their pupils. She shivered. I don't think their hearing is all that great either. Unless they're fresh, there's always an ooze seeping from their ears. But I'm not a biologist. She looked down at her second bottle of water. Zack was the scientist. What happened to him? Suzanne sighed. It was this side of Sullivan. He said we were close, 20 minutes from the center of town if we ran, but it was too close to sunup. We found an abandoned house to hole up in during the day and get some sleep. We had gotten pretty good at picking good hidey holes, as he called them, but the excitement of being so close must have gotten to us. We didn't secure the house good enough. They got in somehow, and we woke to the sound of shuffling. He yelled at me to run, and then... He just charged them. Suzanne put her head in her hands, and sobs once more took over her body. Jericho, too, shed more tears for his friend. After a few long moments of letting the grief out, she continued. It was only yesterday morning. I spent the rest of the day hiding, and then last night making my way down the service road, avoiding random small herds of the bastards. One group caught my scent this morning right after I made it to the city limit sign and chased me here. Fucking bastards. Jericho shook his head. I know they used to be human, and many of them used to be my... His voice trilled off. It was her turn to be comforting. She placed a hand on Jericho's shoulder and just let the silence ease the pain. Eventually, her stomach rumbled with hunger. He patted her hand and stood. Why don't you try and relax? I'll cook us some lunch. Exhaustion and hunger were starting to creep up on her 
While she could not be sure Jericho was the Good Samaritan he came off as, she couldn't care once she stretched out on the sofa in the former police chief's office. She fidgeted with her ring as sleep overtook her. Fire rained from the sky as the earth shook under her feet. She was screaming through a window at a man a hundred yards away. He was pushing a boat into turquoise waters that were rapidly turning gray as something dark fell from the sky. He stopped his chore and turned to her. Just before she could see his face, a black cloud filled her vision. She began to choke as she felt an intense heat start to melt her flesh. Hey, wake up, a masculine voice said, gently nudging Susanna Wake. Zach? No. A pause. Sorry. This startled her awake. Who? Where? She asked as she scanned her surroundings. Get me already? Jericho asked, holding two plates of food. She could see the steam rising from a hot dog on a bun and some macaroni and cheese. Sorry, I haven't slept that deeply in a while. She took the plate he offered her. The way you were whimpering, it sounded like one hell of a dream. He plopped down in the desk chair and started eating his hot dog. Yeah. She brushed her hair from her face and picked up the hot dog. Just a nightmare I've had since I was a child. She took a bite. Having a hot meal from the before times was incredible, no matter what it was. He nodded, letting it drop. Sorry, dogs were the only meat I had thawed, and the mac and cheese is only made with margarine since all the milk is spoiled. He took a bite of the gold noodles, but I like it better this way. Please, she mumbled through a mouthful of food. Don't apologize. It's delicious. Jericho smiled, unknowingly watching her wolf down the first hot meal she had had in at least six months. Suzanne blushed when she caught him studying her. Sorry, she said in a self-chastised tone. It's all right, I understand. He took another bite. I was here when the first horde overran the town. We were luckier than most, unluckier than others. We had enough of a warning, and were able to get the town and country and two other hardware stores boarded up. From there, we got to the high school and churches. Plan was just to go into the school and wait it out. What happened? Jericho sat his plate on the desk as a look of disgust spread across his face. Human nature? People were bit and hit it, not believing they would turn. We didn't think to make inspection mandatory for entry. When the police and fire departments deemed it safe to go check on the civilians who hadn't sheltered, we found our friends and family either turned or turning. He poured himself a couple of fingers of whiskey. I didn't see it for myself. I didn't have any family, so I volunteered to go check on the essential stores. Didn't mean I didn't hear the anguish of my friends as they reported over the radio. He shook his head. Most lost the will to fight and just let the horde take them. Those that survived either left town or killed themselves. Why did you stay? Suzanne asked, finishing her hot dog and starting on the macaroni and cheese. Jericho leaned back in his chair and put his boots up on the desk once again. I'm a transplant here. I've got people in St. Louis and Herman but no one really close enough to risk leaving this stronghold for. Besides, I got a little company with a ham radio. He stuck his thumb toward the back. One of my buddies was into it. Brought it in when the troubles began. She thought it might be helpful. Has it been? Jericho nodded. Yeah. He scratched his beard. 
I've been talking to a guy in Osage Beach about what's going on at Lake of the Ozarks. There's a group that's building on an island in the lake. They claim the zombies can't swim. It's tempting, but I want to give it a winter. You know, proof of concept before I abandon a sure thing. Suzanne scooped the last of the mac and cheese and tried not to look like she was still hungry. You want some more? Jericho asked. Her acting clearly unconvincing, Suzanne squirmed nervously. I don't want to be a bother or eat all your food. He chuckled, taking her plate to scoop more noodles and add another hot dog. Neither one of those is a thing. He handed it to her. She hesitated before starting to eat. Unless there's something else? No, yes. She looked up at him from her seat. It's just that I'm still in mourning and not ready for... She averted her gaze to the floor. Jericho was silent for a moment. Can you look at me for a second? Suzanne didn't move. Look at me. He placed a hand on her shoulder and then slid a finger under her chin, tilting her head and forcing her to look at him. Her heart pounded, expecting the sudden change from gentleman to predator. But when she did look, she thought his eyes seemed kind and gentle, and it put her slightly at ease. You're safe. I'm not going to try anything with you. You're... Zax. Jericho faltered. I don't have any expectations of anything. I think people have to learn to be good to one another if we're going to survive this. So rest up. Get some food in your belly. If you want, take a few days to decide if you'll stay or go. If you stay, you can just help me scrounge and keep up the place. He turned and left her to eat her fill in peace. Day 193 It was nice not being alone, although he had given her space. Even more, there were little things like warm showers and hot food. For the first three days, she stayed inside enjoying the security afforded by the converted police station. Around the fourth day, she awoke with the urge to explore the town that had made the last man she loved. Jericho was taking her on a quick raid of the town and country supermarket about a half mile away. He holstered a small handgun that looked like a prop out of a bad sci-fi movie before grabbing a bow and a quiver of arrows. With all the guns in the police station, she asked, why a bow and arrows? It's quiet. Also, the pistol is a 22 Magnum. That's in case they get close. Their skulls have gotten softer, so I don't need as much power to scramble their brains, and less noise means fewer can find us. Do I get one? Do you know how to shoot either? No. If you've survived this long without one, there's no reason to give you a weapon until you're proficient with it. She nodded in silent assent. Also, Jericho continued, don't speak unless absolutely necessary. Fifteen minutes and they were in the supermarket. The place stunk of spoiled food. The undead had been there and devoured much of the meat, leaving the heavy stench of decaying fruits and vegetables. They filled backpacks with canned goods, box dinners, and raided the cracker and cookie aisle. Leaving the store, Jericho led her to the general store next door. The sign above the door read, Bourbon Family Center. She was drawn to the center aisle with the remains of what had once been shelves stocked full of candy. When she and Zack got away from St. Louis, there was a lot left. They had noticed that the small towns had better survived the havoc of the initial short-lived panic that had gripped humanity. 
She smiled, thinking of an eight-year-old Zack rummaging through the massive selection. Her fingers lingered on a box of nerds, which had been his favorite. She slipped the box into her pocket. Her attention was grabbed by the liquor area to her left. The coolers had gone out, so the beer had cycled from cold to warm. She ogled the wine and spirits. She wondered if Jericho would mind if she took some since she was only 19, though he had offered her whiskey when they first met. She slipped a bottle of cheap rum into her backpack. If he was cool, she'd be back for the good stuff. From there, she explored the rest of the store. In the toy section, she found some Star Wars action figures in a clearance bin. Picking up a Princess Leia, she wondered if Zack had once held it. Then, she wondered if his mom wouldn't buy it for him and made him put it back. She put it back. She eventually made her way to the sporting goods area where she found Jericho behind the counter. A youth compound bow laid above him as he rummaged in the once locked case and pulled out a small black plastic box. He put the box in her backpack and she heard him chuckle as it clinked against the bottle of rum. He then handed her the bow and motioned to her to follow him out of the store. Once back in the police station, he grabbed the bottle of rum from her backpack and disappeared into the chief's office. She shook her head at the absurdity of confiscating the boost but leaving her with what she suspected was a gun. However, he returned a few moments later with two glasses filled with what looked like cola. He handed one to her. You're what, 18, 19, maybe 20? She nodded, prepared to ask, with as much snark as she could muster, if it mattered. Then she smelled the rum in her drink. I guess the law doesn't matter anymore? Nope, he said, taking a seat. I hope you don't mind it. I've always had a heavy pour, and honestly, I would have offered it to you sooner. With you being a pretty young woman, I thought it better for both of us to keep our wits about us. Suzanne blushed. I appreciate that. She looked at the black box. Is that what I think it is? I don't know. I can't read minds. What do you think it is? A gun? Jericho nodded. That it is, a Grendel P-3022 caliber mag pistol just like the one I carry. And yes, it's for you. Suzanne looked at it, wanting to open it but being afraid at the same time. I thought about it, Jericho continued when she didn't say anything. And whether you stay or go, you need to learn to use a weapon. If you stay, I need you to have my back. If you go, it's a dangerous world out there. I want you to be able to defend yourself. What felt like the millionth tears slid down her cheek. I've been thinking about that. I have no clue if I even have family left back in Jersey. Odds are I don't. And with how long it took me to get the 70 miles here from St. Louis, odds are I'm not going to make it there anyway. So if you don't mind, I'd like to stay. Jericho grinned. Suzanne had to admit he was kind of sort of cute when he grinned. I like that very much. She changed the subject. What about the bow? That's also for you. You need to learn to shoot it too. I know it says youth, but trust me, it can take down a deer. If it can do that, it can kill a zombie. But why youth? Yep. Now, before you think it's because you're a girl, it's not that. You're about as big as I was when I learned to shoot one of these, and you need a draw length to match your frame. He turned his attention to the pistol in the box. 
We're going to set up targets on the roof and I'll teach you there. Eventually, you'll learn to shoot the rifles and we'll take turns with one of us scrounging on the ground while the other's up there keeping watch and if necessary, sniping. Because of the hill between here and the town and country plaza, we won't have 100% coverage on those runs. Something's better than nothing. Here in downtown, it'll be nice to have one of us posted up high, keeping eyes on the other at all times. Suzanne nodded. But before all that, he continued, I want you comfortable holding a gun and knowing how to operate it before you put your booger hooker on the bang button and make it go boom for the first time. Suzanne laughed. An hour later, Suzanne's hand still shook, but not near as bad as at first. At first, she was trembling so much that she couldn't load the magazine. Jericho's calm and confidence helped put her at ease. As she began to understand how it worked and operated, she started becoming more comfortable. And as she became comfortable, her only anxiety was what it would feel like when she shot it. Is it going to kick hard? Nope, it's only a 22 Magnum. It's also semi-auto, so the recoil spring acts as a shock absorber. You don't need to worry about kick until we start training you on a 44 Magnum or one of the department's shotguns or rifles. Those are a revolver and pump and bolt action long guns, so no recoil spring. One thing kind of bothers me, she said, putting the gun down. What's that? Why have you left the rest of the guns where anyone can get to them at the family center? If anyone else scrounges the place, they might need to replace a lost gun or upgrade or restock their supply of ammo. Aren't you worried about them using them on you? Jericho shook his head. Until you came along, I was the only living soul in at least ten miles. Who would be taking them would be someone passing through trying to get home like you and Zach. Those stores are right off I-44, and there's a hotel on the other side of the highway. They'll just grab whatever they need, maybe stay a night or two, and then get moving. Have you ever seen someone? Suzanne asked. Nope. The only sign of human life I've seen before you came along was when a 22 rifle 9mm pistol went missing, along with all the 9mm and 22 ammo I left behind. I'd taken half of each and all the 22 Magnum, the Magnum being pretty rare. The only reason they had it at all was that, right before it all started, the owner had gotten a good deal on the Grendel pistols after the company went out of business. Jericho rose to his feet. Now, ready to start training? Suzanne nodded nervously. Day 221 Suzanne's heart raced as she left the safety of the police department fortress. It was a hot day, probably mid to late August, although that was up for debate. Jericho's friend at the Lake of the Ozarks thought it was September 12. By Jericho's account, it was August 5. Suzanne had given up thinking about it. This was her first solo run. She glanced over her shoulder and waved to Jericho who was covering her with a scoped deer rifle. Instead of going to town and country and the family center, her mission was to hit the hardware store. It was at the end of the block and on the same side of the street as the police department. Suzanne sprinted across the street so Jericho could see her until it was time to dart back and enter the store. Once inside, she pulled out the list of plumbing supplies she had been given and hastily began searching for the items. One of the toilets had sprung a leak and Jericho needed a wax seal to fix it. For training, he'd given her a list of random things to get her used to seeking items she was unfamiliar with. She had five minutes to complete this part of the mission. 
but she completed it in four. Sprinting across the street, she turned and waved at Jericho, who waved back. She pointed toward the library, and he gave her the thumbs up. They both wanted something new to read, and it would be good training. Suzanne made it to the library, a steel building that also housed the small town's community center. She was pleasantly surprised this space was reasonably untouched, although Jericho had said most people hold up in their homes when news of the infection spread. She looked through a pile of new arrivals, two books catching her eye, The Glass Witch by Sarah Retrison and Eli Pope's The Judgment Game. She stuffed them in her backpack and dug through the pile some more, finding what looked like something Jericho would read, The Accursed Huntsman by Douglas Hoover. She had stuffed it in her bag and was headed for the door when she heard the shuffling. Coming out of the bathroom closest to the exit was the shambling corpse of a man. His cloudy eyes locked on her, and an excited rattle escaped his lips as he started toward her. She darted past him, his greasy fingers reaching for her and grazing the skin under her t-shirt sleeve. She tried to ignore the slimy wetness he left behind as she burst out the door. Fuck! She screamed as a group of the dead appeared from a wooded area, a wooded area behind the building that blocked Jericho's view. She was fast, but so were they. They looked younger, perhaps teenagers who snuck out to be with friends instead of family. Suzanne might have had a chance about running them, but they were moving on an intercept course toward her. She would have to be agile as well as fast. When the first was 20 feet from her, a gunshot rang out and the creature's head exploded, the bullet hitting the pavement right behind her. Her flight instinct was the only thing that stopped her from freezing at the realization she was in the line of fire. The roar of his rifle and the sight of another head exploding propelled her to go faster. As Suzanne began sprinting, so did the remaining three zombies. Jericho was able to dispatch two of them. The third was directly behind her, and she could feel its dead hand brushing her clothes and her hair. She could hear its wheezing breath as it kept up with her. She looked up at Jericho, all focused behind the scope of his rifle, but she knew he couldn't get a clean shot. The hand found her shoulder and gripped it hard. The wheezing momentarily changed pitch, and it almost sounded celebratory. Suzanne slowed and bowed her head as she felt its unsteady breath on her shoulder. She started to bawl as she surrendered to her fate. She did not hear the gunshot, only felt the bullet whiz past her ear before making a disgusting but primally satisfying squelching noise as her attacker's head exploded, splattering her back with its decaying ichor. The grip on her shoulder loosened as the corpse fell dead for the second time. Suzanne slowed to a stop as shock took over. She stood still. Her eyes half-heartedly tracked Jericho, scrambling down off the roof and sprinting to her, grabbing her and pulling her toward the police station. Then she was inside, still standing in stunned silence as he yelled at her to get her attention. She finally began to come to her senses. She was alive. Jericho had saved her life. She stepped toward him. As she drew near, he reached for the backpack and started to check her for injury. Grabbing him, she ignored how his eyes went wide with shock and then fear. As he reached for a handgun, she pulled him to her chest, pressing her lips to his and kissing him wildly. It was animalistic. She heard the sound of the pistol clattering to the floor as he kissed her back, wrapping his arms around her. They kissed for a few minutes before she broke it and still in his embrace lifted her shirt up and off. She wore no bra. Fuck me, Suzanne said as she kicked off her shoes. Yes, ma'am, he said, 
lifting her off her feet and kissing her before carrying her to a renovated jail cell as romantically as possible. They lay in bed naked, his arm holding her close as her head rested on his chest. They had crossed a line that they both knew they would cross eventually. Still, that hadn't alleviated the gravity of the moment. I'm not a slut, Suzanne said to herself as much as to him. I don't think you're one. Jericho placed a soft kiss on her forehead. You're the third man I've slept with in almost as many months. Was your boyfriend before Zack your first? Jericho asked. Yes, she said, still unable to look him in the eyes. That seems so far in the past now. Things were still mostly working when Greg turned. We had power. The TV got one channel, and if the weather was just right, we got this guy running a radio station. She chuckled. Now that feels like another life. She could feel him nod in agreement. Yeah, it feels like I've got someone else's memories when I think back to the before times, Jericho echoed. Now everything is different. We're not on top of the food chain. There's a fate worse than death, and now relationships seem more important. Not specific ones, but having them. When I was in the Air Force, I would form intense bonds with people only to have them broken when it was time to go to a new base where deployment ended. The people changed, but having new people to share the hardship with taught me to form new bonds. And fast. Suzanne fell silent, pondering his words. We could end up being the last people on Earth. Jericho pulled her close to him and went to kiss the top of her head, but thought better of it seeing the zombies gore matting her hair. We'd be the modern-day Adam and Eve, and I'd be thankful to have you here with me so I didn't have to live out the rest of my life alone. Suzanne shuddered. That sounds horrible. I couldn't imagine being the only human left. I think I'd just... Me too, he said as an awkward silence filled the room. Listen, today when that zombie almost got you, Jericho sniffled. I had to make a choice. If I didn't get the shot, it's okay, Suzanne said softly. I would have shot you. I will never let you suffer, and if you're ever in that situation, don't hesitate to take the shot. Please. Please. Suzanne buried her face in his chest. I don't want to think about it. Okay, just keep it in mind. She changed the subject. I am probably pretty gross right now. Want to take a shower? She grinned. Like a couple's shower? Something like that? I'd love to. He leaned in for a kiss before lifting her and carrying her to the station's locker room. Day 415 The diamond ring on Suzanne's left ring finger kept drawing her attention from the direction of town and country. It brought a smile to her face as she thought about the man her man, who would be returning from his grocery run any moment. While marriage was an artifact from the before times, it didn't matter. The ring had been a family heirloom from Jericho's maternal grandmother, something he had held on to in memory of all those he had lost. She was anxious for his return. It was time for her to tell him, she had decided, about the weight she was putting on, about why she was taking longer than normal in the bathroom in the morning about how, even with limited options, there were certain foods she began avoiding even the smell of. The thought of a pregnancy excited and petrified her. 
she'd be carrying and delivering the child without medical care or family support beyond Jericho. She distracted herself from the worry and went back to watching for him to return. There had been an influx of zombies shambling through town and Jericho wanted to stock up on supplies. He had seen herds move through town and that kept them locked inside the station for several days, so they needed to make sure there was enough food and other necessities. She had a sneaking suspicion that he knew she carried his child. A wave of nausea made her scramble for the bucket she had carried up with her. She retched into it, the smell only making her puke more. Suzanne! Jericho's voice rose from the other side of the hill, blocking her view of the town and country plaza. She pulled herself away from the bucket to see him running toward the station. Suzanne! Shoot them! He screamed in a panic. Shoot me a path! She moved back toward the sniper nest and gripping the rifle looked over the edge. He was on the opposite side of the road and zombies had shuffled out from behind the police station while she was lost in thought. They had moved to block his path and another group had come out from the neighboring building. He was trapped. She shouldered the rifle and her vision tunneled as she aligned the scope's crosshairs on what had once been a woman. She took a breath. After exhaling, but before she inhaled again, Suzanne squeezed the trigger. She barely registered the exploding head before she continued picking off the undead. Yes, way to go! Jericho screamed. Suzanne did not have time to celebrate. There were more than she had ever dealt with when sitting watching for Jericho. She squeezed the trigger and heard a dry click. Fuck! Out of ammo! She yelled as one hand worked the magazine release and the other searched for a replacement. Finding it, she slammed it into place and racked the next round. She sighted a creature that was seconds from sinking his teeth into Jericho. With another squeeze of the trigger, another head blasted to pieces. Jericho was almost home, and he looked up and their eyes met. He smiled at her. A smile unearthed a memory buried deep in her soul. Suzanne blinked away the idle thoughts. She was about to move to the ladder to get to ground level and slip inside with her partner when a zombie appeared out of nowhere. Jericho! She screamed for him, watching helplessly as the undead creature latched onto him, its teeth sinking into his shoulder. Fuck! He screamed as the zombie pushed him to the ground, its teeth gnawing. He looked up at Suzanne. Their eyes met again. Please! Tears began to flow as she once more shouldered the rifle and took aim, this time at the last man she would ever love. She saw his face contorted in pain, pleading with her. She closed her eyes and inhaled deeply, opening them as she exhaled. The crosshairs, still square on his forehead, she pulled the trigger. I hope you enjoyed tonight's story, Suzanne, by Xavier Poe Kane. Not yet a best-selling author, Xavier Poe Kane is a former door gunner on the International Space Station. When not making the galaxy safe for democracy, he writes whatever weirdness comes to mind. He currently lives in the woods with his wife Morticia in a state of mutual weirdness with their dogs Chuck Norris and the three-legged Jabba the Hutt. Thanks to the GI Bill, he has an MFA in popular fiction writing and publishing from Emerson College. 
He is currently working on his second publication, a collection of short stories titled Broken Hearts and Other Horrors. Tonight's tale, Suzanne, is part of this collection as well as a few others featured on Fear from the Heartland. This collection will be out soon in print and audiobook, narrated by yours truly. You can hook up with Xavier and check out what consumes him at his website, www.xaviercane.com. That's X-A-V-I-E-R-K-A-N-E.com. You can also go to Amazon.com and search for Xavier O. Kane, and that will take you to his author page. Or Twitter at Xavier Kane 9 and on Facebook, Xavier Kane. If you enjoyed tonight's story, hosted by yours truly, Paul J. McSorley, you can search my name on Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on YouTube for additional previous stories. If you'd like to hear more lengthy tales, be sure to take a look at my audiobooks. Available now on audible.com or just visit paulsbooks.net. That's P-A-U-L-S-B-O-O-K-S dot net. You can also find me personally on Facebook and Twitter. And with that, listeners, our weekly journey into the psyche has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight's episode and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And while you're at it, please remember to stop by our Apple Podcast page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and subscribe. The charts are based on subscriptions, not listens. So if you haven't subscribed yet, I'd really appreciate it. I'm your host for Fear from the Heartland, Paul J. McSorley. I've enjoyed the titillation tonight. Ooh, there's that word again. Thank you for joining me. Hope to see you again next week at Fear from the Heartland.